The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. They can go no huddle. They can go two tight ends. They can go play action. They can take shots down the field. They can run the ball with Cam. I love the options here. Opinionated. Mac Jones was a safe pick, but his ceiling is just Kirk Cousins. To the point. The Red Sox are better than I expected. I still don't think they're winning the division. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show right here on a Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Short show today going up until just 6 o'clock on the live version here. Red Sox baseball, Sox and Blue Jays today from Fenway Park. And we'll have it for you 6-10 with the pregame show and 7-10 with the first pitch. Sox salvaged the series yesterday against the Astros, winning the finale uh, in a weird fashion, 12-8, a uh, a game in which the Sox were up, then they were down, then they tied it, and then they took control of it and won it late. So good for the Sox there to, uh, to get a win against the Strohs, and uh, we're back at it today against the Blue Jays. So short show live, 5.30 until 6. We will have a full show available on the podcast channel as well, though. It's also a Friday Diamond Discussion Day. We'll talk with longtime ESPN Major League Baseball broadcaster Dan Schulman, who was also one of the voices of the Toronto Blue Jays. If you want to get in, you can on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Phone number is 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Let's get going. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. And the opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber and online at sticksandstuff.com. Again, Dan Shulman, longtime broadcaster from ESPN, voice of the Blue Jays, will be with us at 545. But I want to start here with a question. I want to ask the audience a question, and I want to lay out the situation for you. It's a very complicated local sports situation. U32 is going to play for its first ever state title in baseball on Sunday morning. They're taking on Spalding. Owen Kellington is the ace pitcher at U32. He's a guy we've talked about. He's dominated all season, thrown multiple no-hitters. He throws 94 miles an hour. He's a guy who is on the radar for the MLB draft next month. Okay, Of course, the team would love to have him pitch for the state title. I'm sure he'd want to pitch for the state title, but he threw 105 pitches on Wednesday in the state semi. Sunday will only be three days rest. So if you are the coaching staff at U32, what do you do? Do you pitch him on three days rest and be the coach or the staff who risked his college future at UConn or his MLB future? Do you protect his future entirely and stick him somewhere else in the field and not pitch him in the biggest game in school history, or is it somewhere in the middle? 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. What do you do with Owen Kellington coming up this weekend state championship game? Pitch him or not? I know what I would do. As someone who coached, as someone who's been around the game for a long time, and as someone who pitched, I do not think it's appropriate to pitch Owen Kellington for a full game. Another 100 pitches. Another 7 innings. State championship be damned. There is too much risk you can do to a pitcher's arm in that situation. Okay, He should not be throwing a full 7 innings. He should not throw another 100 pitches on Sunday. But guys do throw bullpens. 
after three days. Guys do throw after three days in the pen. Some guys will, you know, between starts, etc., they will throw. I'd let Owen Kellington pitch, but on a very strict pitch count. Somewhere in the 35 to 45 pitch range. And I only let him pitch under those circumstances. I would talk to his parents and see what they're comfortable with. I talk to Owen Kellington and see what he's comfortable with. There is too much at stake for this kid. For my ego as a high school coach to jeopardize his future. 35 to 45 pitches could be two innings. It could be three, depending on how clean the innings are. The coach and the coaching staff at U32 have an obligation not to just win the state championship, but to protect their players. And in this case, a player with a real future playing baseball. Look, I'd say this about any kid who's a pitcher. It's your duty to protect him. But it is a little different, I will admit. If a high school pitcher says, if a high school senior goes up and says, Coach, look, I'm not playing baseball in college. I have no future in this. This is my last game ever. Okay, The pinnacle of my life would be winning a state title. If that kid is willing to put himself at risk with his arm, that's one thing. But this will not be the pinnacle of Owen Kellington's career. He's got a long baseball career in front of him, and that should not be jeopardized for the sake of winning a state title. I tell you another thing. I would not start Owen Kellington on the mound. If I can avoid using him, I want to avoid it. Okay, If I start him and I get up 3 nothing, you're going to pull him anyways for his safety. I don't want to do that. I would save Owen Kellington simply for my highest leverage situations, and that would be it. I wouldn't go into the game with a plan to start him and know I've got to pull him after two or three innings. I wouldn't guarantee he's my closer on Sunday because I don't know if I'll get to the point where I have a lead and I'll need a closer. I would save Owen Kellington for the highest leverage situation in the game and let him be that guy who gets you out of a jam. Look, if that's bases loaded one out in the second, then so be it. If it's second and third and two outs in the fifth, then so be it. But I am not starting this kid and letting him throw seven and act like he didn't throw 105 pitches on Wednesday. Owen Kellington is their ace. I get he wants to pitch. I get they want him to pitch. I get his teammates want him to pitch. I get the communities and the community and the alum want him to pitch. But you've got to protect him. Let him pitch two to three innings, 35 to 45 pitches, only in a high leverage situation. If you can avoid it, I would like to, but I will keep him around for a high leverage situation. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line is blowing up at 802-585-3026. Jay in Williamstown says, Brady, I'd start him, and I'd let him go as long as he feels good. He's probably played with these teammates his whole life, and they've probably dreamed of winning a state title together. Jay, I appreciate the text, and I understand the rationale. The power of winning a title with your buddies is huge. The idea that in 30 years you can be drinking beer with your high school pals, talking about what you accomplished in 2021, that's powerful. I didn't even win a state title, and I still talk about high school games with my high school teammates. It would be a great accomplishment. And to probably all of his teammates, winning the state title would be the pinnacle of their baseball lives. But for Owen Kellington, it won't be. 
Simply put, Jeff Green, who's the coach at U32, has a job to protect his players. Owen Kellington needs to be protected. Kids think they are invincible. Parents and coaches sometimes need to protect them from themselves and from their own wishes. I understand Owen Kellington would want to pitch for the state championship with the guys he's played with his whole life. But there are bigger fish to fry for him, and I don't want to be the coach that puts that at risk for my own selfishness. And if Owen Kellington is willing to risk it, then the adult in the room needs to say, hey, it's not worth it. It's not worth the risk. Understand this. I was nowhere near, not even in the same stratosphere, as good as Owen Kellington. And I threw nowhere near as hard as Owen Kellington did, but I did pitch, and I pitched a lot. And you guys hear me now talk about it, and when I pitch in the men's league, and I still pitch 31 years old, Sunday afternoon in the Green Mountain Men's League, okay? You hear me say it all the time. I come in on Monday, and my arm hurts. I can literally pick up the baseball once per week, and that is it. And it takes a ton of ibuprofen and tiger balm and capsaicin in order to make that happen. And it's not simply a case of, well, hey, Brady, you're getting old. I think I can trace my arm soreness and my arm fatigue and my arm pain back to overthrowing and back to a specific set of incidents. I threw a lot in college. In my four years, I threw in more than 50 games total. I pitched nearly 150 career innings, so not not bad. I threw a lot. I also threw a lot in the summer. Okay, I threw a lot in my summers and summer baseball. I love to play. I love to pitch. I wanted to play. Okay, For a couple of summers, I played in both the Albany Twilight League, which is a very, very good semi-professional league, Okay, and I played simultaneously for a 22-and-under team. So I played in the Albany Twilight League and a 22-and-under team. The same guy I played for in both leagues, he owned and oversaw both teams. It was a sponsored team. He owned the business. He oversaw both teams, and he was present. He was there. He acted as the coach. Look, he didn't care much about my well-being, but he gave me the opportunity to play. We got to play for free because he sponsored the team. He trusted me. He thought I was good. So I wanted to give him what I had. Well, one week, I pitched for him on Sunday night in the Albany Twilight League. Okay, I think I threw a complete game. Then he asked me to throw in the 22 and under league on Wednesday or Thursday. On two or three days rest, and I threw another five innings or so. Then he asked me again to pitch in the Twilight League again on Sunday, and I threw like three or four innings. I was gassed. I had nothing left. I threw seven, twelve, I probably threw 15 or 16 innings in the span of seven days. I had nothing left, and I can't tell you for a fact that I actually did damage to my arm that week. But I can tell you that I went back to college that summer, my senior year. Heading into my senior year, I felt like my arm was dead. We had a new coach that year at college, and he actually asked me if I was hurt because my velocity readings were so poor. And then I went out senior year and had the worst year of my life, the worst career of my career in college. My senior year should have been my best. It ended up being my worst. 
Again, it's not totally the same. But I needed somebody that summer to save me from myself. I needed somebody to protect me. I needed a better coach who didn't ask me of that, but I need or didn't ask that of me, but I needed to tr- I needed to protect myself from that because what that was to me was arm abuse. I needed somebody who was looking out for me. Overthrowing is a real thing and overthrowing is a real concern. And I believe that I'm still paying for it to this day. I don't want Owen Kellington to pay for it down the line. I don't want Owen Kellington to pay for it down the line. I'd make him available in the championship game, 35-45 pitches, in a high-leverage situation. But that's it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball coming up here in a little while. 6-10 with the pregame show. 7-10 with the first pitch right here on your home for Sox baseball, WDEV. Sox were able to win last night against the Houston Astros. I want to go out to the phone line now. It's time for our Friday Diamond discussion. We're going to be talking with Dan Shulman. Dan Shulman, longtime baseball voice at ESPN. ESPN radio as well. I think the first game that I ever board opt in a radio studio was Dan Shulman doing a World Series game between the Royals and the Giants, if I'm remembering that correctly. Well, Dan Shulman is also one of the voices of the Toronto Blue Jays. So he's going to be on the call uh, this weekend for Blue Jays media outlets. So Dan Shulman with us now here on our Friday Diamond discussion, brought to you by Red Door Jewelers in downtown Randolph, home of ESPN, MLB Insider, Buster Only. Every visit to Red Door Jewelers is a home run, so go and visit Red Door Jewelers. Dan Shulman is with us now. Dan, thanks for being with us today. How are you? I'm doing well, Brady. How about yourself? Good. I appreciate you being with me and taking some time. Before I get to the Red Sox, I need to draw on your baseball acumen. So we have been talking about this prior to this interview. In Vermont, we don't see a whole lot of high school draft prospects, okay? And draft's coming up about a month from now. And there's a kid here in central Vermont who's 94 miles an hour who's dominating the state. He threw 105 pitches in a state semifinal game on Wednesday. The state championship game is on Sunday. And we're trying to figure out how exactly he should be handled. Should he pitch fully? Should he pitch partly? Should he not pitch at all? I mean, there's certainly risk in throwing him, and I don't know that I want to be the coach that risks this baseball future. How do you handle this situation? Well, so it's three days rest. I I can say for sure if it was Saturday, I would say no, and if it was Monday, I would say yes, but I I would have some reservations, and I don't know what the high school rules are there. I I don't know know, what rules they have to adhere to. I I think I would, uh, it's tough to put the kid in that situation to say, do you want to pitch? The kid... Uh, is going to say yes. I I think I probably would let him pitch, but I I would ha- I wouldn't let him throw 105 pitches again. I, I would have a a very strict pitch limit on him. You know, maybe 60 or 70 pitches, something like that. I mean, it is three days rest. I don't know how often he's thrown 105 pitches before, but I think I'd let him go out there for a short while. All right. Well, we appreciate your baseball acumen because we've been tackling with that issue for the entirety <laughs> of the show prior to you uh, coming that's on. That's a hard one. And and again, you know, the, the kid's only 18. He wants the ball, I, I'm sure. So, um, you know, hopefully I've looked at Hopefully they've looked at it from uh, from all sides and whatever happens, he uh, he emerges healthy. Well, I'll put something back in your wheelhouse now, and that's Major League Baseball. And the Blue Jays come to town tonight, 31-29. They're two games over five hundred, but 
it's kind of amazing considering all they've been through. They missed uh, Teoscar Hernandez because of COVID. They lost their closer, Kirby Yates, before the season even started. George Springer hasn't really played, and they don't really have a home, Dan. Yeah, they have gone through a lot, uh, you know, compared to the other 29 teams. Um, their bullpen also has been above and beyond Kirby Yates has been decimated by injuries. David Phelps out for the year. Ryan Barucki is out. Julian Merriweather is out. So four of their top six or seven bullpen arms, you know, according to the plan back in the spring, uh, aren't pitching for them right now. Um, They've done and they've done fine. You know, the other thing too is they've played the hardest schedule in baseball. They've played the Rays a bunch, the Yankees a bunch, the Red Sox a bunch. They haven't played the Orioles yet. Haven't played one game against the Orioles. They they start up with the Orioles next week and then wow. they play them a lot. So uh, all things considered, and, and on top of it, like you said, they haven't had a home. You know, going from Dunedin to Buffalo, it's it's been challenging for them, um, and, and they're doing okay. They they could have won a few more than they've won because the bullpen has really been a little bit unstable the last few weeks, but I look at this next week for them as huge. Four games at Fenway and then three in Buffalo against the Yankees. Those seven games may go a long way towards determining whether or not they're a contender. You know, I've been talking with media members for the last year about what it's like to cover sports during the pandemic. What is it like to call games for a team that isn't even in your country consistently? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I know I've used the word challenging already, but I'll use it again. So, um, when I'm in a studio in Toronto, uh, I live in Toronto, so we have three announcers and we kind of rotate around. Uh, myself, Buck Martinez, and Pat Tabler, and, and Buck and Tabby both live in the U.S. So right now, since they've gone to Buffalo, um, it, it's me with whoever's doing it. I'm in a studio in Toronto, Tabby's in his house, Buck's in his house, mm-hmm. and two of the three of us are on the game. So not only are we not at the ballpark, we're not even together. We're not even with one another because the border is still closed. And you can't just go back and forth across the border. And our company, you know, doesn't want to push the envelope with the government and try to get an exemption. They they don't want to travel people. They want everybody to be as safe as possible. So uh, I'm sitting in a studio in Toronto with our statistician. And, and for this series, for example, Buck Martinez will be in his home down in Florida. And uh, and away we go. You know, we've uh, we've uh, our company's done a great job making us as comfortable as possible, giving us all the camera angles we can get, just like a lot of other people who are broadcasting remotely. But the big difference is everybody else gets to go to the ballpark for the home games, and and most other people are at least with their broadcast partner. Uh, you know, looking through the glass or in the same room, so you can, you know, the interaction's just a little bit easier. So there are some things we're having to do a little bit differently, but we're just glad to be calling games. You know, we look at all the things the pandemic has taken from us. It's also given us some resourcefulness and some new innovative ideas. Is there any way, I dare to say, I hesitate to say it's helped your broadcast, but is there anything new your broadcasts are doing that you've kind of stumbled upon in this time? Well, the things we're doing, we're doing out of necessity. So I don't know that there are things we would keep, to be honest with Mm. you. I mean, you can't replace being at a ballpark. You just can't. You know, there are times where somebody tries to steal a base, and I don't see it, or somebody tries to score from first on a double, and and I'm a little bit late. I I just can't see it in time. So I, I don't know. You know, I think what's been discovered is that all 30 teams can do broadcasts remotely, okay, you know, we can get it done reasonably, but it's not as good as being at the ballpark. So 
Um, off the top of my head, I, I, I would say no. Like, again, everything we're doing, we're doing because we have to do. And I hope whenever the world is back to normal, whatever that means, that our jobs will get back to the way that they were before. But, they're, they're, you know, there's no guarantee of that. Dan Schulman, longtime Major League broadcaster, ESPN, ESPN Radio. He's called College Hoops for ESPN for years, and he's one of the voices of the Toronto Blue Jays as they come to town to Fenway for a four-game series. He's here with us on our Friday Diamond discussion. You know, I was talking hockey yesterday because the interim head coach of the Canadian is a University of Vermont graduate and Dominic Ducharme. And I was asking the, our insider up in Canada, what are the Canadians meaning to Canada right now? I'm going to kind of flip the question on you. How much does not having the Blue Jays matter to Canadian fans? Like, how much is Toronto missing this team? Uh, they are missing them. There's no question. Uh, although, even if they were here right now, I don't know if we'd have fans in the stands. Yeah. Things are a little different up here, and I, and I know things have really started to open up in the U.S. Um, but people are missing them and they are a national team they have fans from coast to coast they have tons of fans but i think the fact obviously that all all 162 games are on tv you can still watch them but um definitely people are missing them here i mean the raptors weren't here at all the whole season too they played in tampa so um and this is two years now for the blue jays they didn't play a single home game last year uh, either so I, i think people are definitely missing them and if they don't come back well whenever they come back that first game, whether it's this September or next opening day or whatever it is, it's going to be a party. It's really, it's really going to be a scene. It'll be 48,000 people. But we can see from our TV ratings, like the numbers are huge. People are still watching. People love this team. Um, but, yeah, everybody would like to see them in their own country, in their own city, in their own ballpark, in their own clubhouse with fans in the stands. That's the thing. If they came home but they weren't allowed to have fans, that would look really strange. I almost think they're better off in mm-hmm. Buffalo right now because at least they've got a crowd that's cheering them on. In Toronto, I don't know if they'd have that at the moment. How good has Vlad Guerrero Jr. been? We spent all this time a couple of years ago heralding his prospect status, and then we spent a whole year belittling his weight. And then this year, you know, he's a, a an MVP candidate. Yeah, he's been great. Absolutely great. Uh, we, we had a stat yesterday uh, the difference between his OPS and Shohei Otani's, who was second in the American League, was bigger than the difference between Otani's and 27th place. That's, wow. that's how big of a gap there is in the American League. There are some guys in the NL, but just looking at the American League, he's been fantastic. His, you know, his talent is obvious. He's lost about 40 pounds. Um, his strike zone judgment has uh, become everything we heard it was when he was coming up in the minors hits the ball hard, like crazy hard. You know, it, it's Judge, Stanton, and Vladdy. Those are the, you know, those are the exit velocity uh, kings. Um, uses the whole field, walks almost as much as he strikes out, and he's playing a nice first base, and he runs the bases aggressively. He's, he's been great. He's been absolutely incredible. I thought he would take a big step forward this year when we heard about all the weight he lost, but I didn't think it would be quite this much. I mean, he's been the best hitter in baseball so far this year. Marcus Semien's had a great year, too, and he took that kind of one-year prove-it deal coming over from Oakland. And, uh, you know, he struggled a bit early, but he has been sensational since. Yeah, uh, American League Player of the Month in May. Like, Vladdy could have won it, but but Simeon did. Had a monster month, and he's he's doing just as well in June right now. And, and playing second base, a little bit out of position. They they kept Obichette at short. Simeon agreed to play second. Um, Springer hasn't played, so Simeon's been the leadoff hitter, and he's done great there. He's been terrific defensively, runs the bases well, and he's been, I, I think, a quiet leader, a veteran presence in a clubhouse that has a lot of young guys. So I don't know if he's a Blue Jay in 2022, but they're certainly getting their value out of him in 2021. I have been on the train. I've said all season I thought the Red Sox were going to finish fourth. Um, 
That said, maybe I'll up that to third this year, but I don't think they're a division-winning team. What is the perception outside um, of Boston and New England? What is your perception of the Red Sox? My perception coming into the season was they'd be better. I thought they'd be a 500 team. You know, you just looked at Eduardo Rodriguez coming back, and I know he hasn't had a good year. J.D. Martinez, obviously, would you figured would be better than he was last year. I mean, last year the pitching was just brutal for the Red Sox. Everything went wrong. So you knew the pitching was going to be better. You knew J.D. Martinez was going to hit more. I liked the pickups of Marvin Gonzalez and Kike Hernandez, and I know they haven't hit a ton, but, you know, the positional flexibility that it gives you. And, and, and any lineup with Martinez and Bogart's endeavors, you're off to a good start. So I thought they'd be a decent team. They've been better than I thought they would be. Their pitching has been better um, than I thought it would be. I'm not sure they're as good as their record. Like, if you look at the the kind of the Red Sox peripheral numbers and the Blue Jay peripheral numbers, they're almost identical in, in, in many, many ways, runs scored and ERA and so forth. It's, it seems the, uh, the Blue Jays just aren't doing as good a job in close games as the Red Sox are, and part of that are the bullpen issues the Jays have had. But um, I think Boston's good, and, and I think they're a contender for a playoff spot. I think all four teams in the East are. you got the White Sox in the Central. I'm not a huge believer in Cleveland. And then you got Houston and Oakland out west. So I think you got seven teams, and five will get in. And I, th- I think the Red Sox uh, are in play. And, and you know we're getting into mid June. If teams are are where they are now in mid July, now you're looking at trades and maybe making yourself stronger. So the longer they can keep this going, um, you know, the more I, I think people will believe in them. But I. Again, maybe not quite as good as their record, but I think good enough to fight for a playoff spot. You know, I think the Red Sox are in a difficult position, and I asked you at the beginning of the interview just for your baseball acumen, and I'll ask you, I'll close the interview in that same way. I don't think the Red Sox are good enough to win the division, so I don't think they go all in at the deadline, but they're also not bad enough, certainly, to be selling off pieces, so I kind of feel like they're stuck and really just waiting for Chris Sale is their move. Hmm. Yeah, that's one move. I mean, if they you want you know if you want to get another bullpen arm, you can get that pretty cheap. You know that that that's not going to you know um, plunder your farm system or anything like that. So, um, but it will be interesting because this was a year where a lot of people thought they wouldn't contend. So when it's kind of a surprise year, what do you do? That's where the Blue Jays were last year. Yeah, uh, they were kind of a year ahead of schedule last year, and they went out and acquired five guys at the trade deadline last year. So I think Hein Bloom will make. A move or two, if they're still in it. Again, not a huge move. Chris Sale would be a nice pickup, no question about it. But you can always go out and find another arm, find another bullpen arm cheap for your for like your 26th best prospect or something like that. So um, I think if they're in the hunt, you'll see an addition or two around the edges of the roster. Dan Schulman, longtime baseball broadcaster, ESPN, ESPN Radio, and now one of the multiple voices of the Toronto Blue Jays. Blue Jays at Fenway this weekend, four-game series, big series within the ALE. So, Dan, we appreciate the time as always, the perspective, and have a great series, and we'll talk to you again down the line. All right. Thank you. Take care. Will do. Thank you very much. That's Dan Schulman, longtime ESPN broadcaster, voice of the Blue Jays, with us here on our Friday Diamond discussion. Thanks to Red Door Jewelers in downtown Randolph, where every single visit is a home run. We do the Friday Diamond discussion every single week, and it's just yielded us great content. And we had Tim Kirchin one week, Dan Schulman. Last week we were talking MLB draft and Owen Kellington. How cool was that, that Dan's got perspective on Vermont high school baseball pitching prospects? That was awesome. I, I, I loved talking with Dan Schulman. I've spoken with him before, but first time here at this station, and uh, certainly did not disappoint our audience, so appreciate him being on. Um, he was great. It's crazy to think about the conditions the Blue Jays are in. I mean, really, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Last year, they played their entire home season in Buffalo. 
This year, they play in Dunedin, Florida, and now go to Buffalo. Now, to Dan's point, playing in Buffalo with fans might be better than playing in Toronto without them, but the Blue Jays don't have a true home this year. Their fans aren't able to connect with them in any way in person. And for a broadcaster perspective that Dan provided, I mean, how difficult is that? At least when you go, when you listen to Red Sox games, okay, the crew here is here during home games. They're getting access, they're getting stories, they're getting perspective, they're seeing things in front of them. Dan Schulman and Blue Jays broadcasters, they don't have any of that. I mean, it's a very, very difficult um, situation that everyone in Toronto is in right now, from the fans to the organization to the players who've had to up and move to the broadcasters like Dan. And if you are a Red Sox fan, you should be nervous by what Dan Schulman told you, okay? The Blue Jays have not played the Orioles yet this year. Have not played the Orioles yet. That's 19 games against the O's that they'll have to go 15-4 and four or 14-5. and five. There's real good opportunity there for the Blue Jays to make serious noise against, against the O's and then start to push the Red Sox in that second half of the season. The Sox are already halfway through the Orioles matchups this year. It's going to be tougher for them to separate further from Toronto. This series is huge. It's huge for Toronto, as Dan said. It's huge for the Red Sox because you know that the Blue Jays have that Orioles buffer coming and you want to protect against that. So uh, interesting stuff, too, from Dan on the trade deadline. We'll talk about the Chris Sale stuff. What we're going to do here is we're going to get you out to Red Sox baseball on the other side of the CBS News update. So pregame show 610, first pitch 710. But we will have a full digital version of of the show online at the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. So thanks for hanging out with us here on this Friday. I'll see you on Monday right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. This is WDEV, Vermont's news station, owned and operated by the Radio Vermont Group. From the top of Sugarbush, 96.1 FM, WDEV, Warren and Waitsfield, 96.5 W243, Barry, 98.3 W252, CU, Montpelier. Along with our founding station, AM550, WDEV, Waterbury, Montpelier. Streaming at WDEVradio.com. 89 years of serving Vermont. The friendly pioneer, WDEV. I want to thank everybody for continuing on with the Brady Farkas Show podcast here. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. I want to thank Dan Schulman for coming on on the live version of the show. He was just awesome with what he said and uh, you know enjoyed our talk about the Blue Jays, about the situation for the Jays in Canada, but also his perspective on the Red Sox. And he, like me, didn't think this team was particularly good, 500 or a little bit over in the in, in spring training, but now certainly better than we both thought. And again, I think the Red Sox can... You know, I think they could finish second. I told Dan third, you know, but I don't think they're winning the division. Bottom line is, I don't think they're winning the division. But I do think that they are in a tough position here when we think about the trade deadline. And here was Dan Schulman's perspective on how the Sox might handle the deadline. I think Hein Bloom will make a move or two if they're still in it. Again, not a huge move. Chris Sale would be a nice pickup, no question about it. But you can always go out and find another arm find another bullpen arm cheap for your for like your 26th best prospect or something like that so um i think if they're in the hunt you'll see an addition or two around the edges of the roster i think that's exactly where the red sox are at i think dan shulman is exactly right the red sox are kind of stuck here they're not good enough 
in my opinion, to go all in. And when I say all in, you're talking about mortgaging some of the future, trading away young controllable assets. They are in they are in the acquisition they are in the acquisition stage right now, not the giving away asset stage, okay? So they need to be acquiring assets, not giving them up. So trading Jaron Duran or Tristan Cassis, that's not in the cards for them. They need to bolster the farm system, not deplete it. They're not good enough to go and make that kind of move. They're also clearly not bad enough to go and trade J.D. Martinez or go start selling off pieces. Erod, they're not bad enough for that. So the only thing left is peripheral moves. The only thing left is a peripheral move there. And I like what Shulman said. Yeah, you can go out of the bullpen. Bullpen's been pretty good this year, at least a lot better than last year. You might be able to add a, you know, a starter. But right now, at least with health, the Red Sox don't need a starter. You always could use pitching, but until someone gets injured, you don't need a starter. And Chris Sale's coming back, and that's kind of where I want to continue to go on this here. Alex Cora addressed Chris Sale the other day right here on WDEV. It's one of those that we've been talking about for a while, that he will contribute after the All-Star break. And, um, you know, to see him around, for his teammates to to see them and talk baseball and talk pitching, it's a plus for, for our club, and uh, I know he's excited where he's at. We are, too, and at the same time, we're going to be very cautious. I'm starting to get excited about Chris Sale. I haven't been counting on him for much this season. I haven't let myself get to that point, but I am starting to get excited about Chris Sale and about the possibilities that he can provide this team. Okay, And it's kind of very similar to the Owen Kellington situation we were talking about in the live version of the show at the outset. I think they've got to nurse Chris Sale back to health here. I think you should come back and throw in short spurts. And I guess there's really two ways of thinking about this. One, he can go on a lengthy rehab assignment and come back as a starter and be fully built up, in which case you'd probably talk about him coming back at the end of August. Or he could come back earlier and work in short spurts out of the bullpen, etc., I'd still give him a rehab assignment. I would still get him on a mount. Simulated games, live BP, rehab assignment. But I need him back if the team's in it before the end of August. But when he comes back, I would still have to nurse him back slowly. He would throw to me in short spurts. Two to three innings. And however you want to divvy that up. If that two to three innings is in the bullpen, if that two to three innings is as an opener and a starter, but I don't think it's smart to just come out and instantly expect Chris Sale to be Chris Sale. Seven innings, ten strikeouts. That's not realistic. I do think he'll need rehab assignments. I don't think it's smart to just bring him up right away and throw him in high leverage. But rehab assignments, bullpen assignments, opener assignments, short spurts. He will be a weapon for this team. But Chris Sale has a very lengthy contract in front of him. It's not just about some game on July 10th or August 1st or August 15th. It's about the long-term vision of this season. They want him in October, and it's about the long-term vision of his contract. They need him in 22. They need him in 23. They need him in 24. It is not just about 2021. Chris Sale will help this team. I'm starting to get excited about him for the first time all season. I just think the Red Sox need to be smart in how they handle him when he comes back. Handle him with kid gloves. He will help you in the long game more than he will instantaneously upon arrival. Okay, we do this every single day on the Brady Farkas Show. Let's get to who's saying what.
Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't, I don't like the signing. I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. They really said that? Having him back in the dugout obviously makes me want to beat them more. We don't like those guys. They don't like us. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Really interesting stuff on the most recent edition of Tom Curran's Patriots Talk podcast. He had a conversation with Frank Edelman, Julian Edelman's dad. And he was talking to Mr. Edelman about what it will be like to go through a football season and not have Julian Edelman play. And he also talked about his relationship with Tom Brady. And he also asked Edelman Sr. about when did you know the wheels were falling off for Edelman? We worked hard at practice. Full on, Tom, just full on, you know, and he uh, once he couldn't practice because of that knee, you know, it started. It just wasn't going away. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, Jules likes to practice, you know, and that's where he gets his confidence. And so once the practice uh, became once a week or not at all, you know, on walkthrough, we knew we were. kind of getting in getting in trouble. I loved what Frank Edelman said there about Julian. Practice gave him confidence. Practice gave him confidence. And I think that's what practice does for people. So when you tell me, like Freddie Coleman of ESPN did earlier this week, when you tell me that it's not a big deal that Cam Newton is on the sidelines in June, that's why I think it is. Cam Newton needs that confidence that Edelman talks about coming from practice. And I think not being out there in practice is a big, big deal for Cam. I think he was so broken last year at times. Last year, Cam Newton was so broken and so vulnerable that I think he would absolutely be aided by being out there and seeing things happening in front of him, seeing things happening in front of him. Look, let's listen to, look, this was Cam October 26th of last year. October 26th, they got blown out by the 49ers. Here was Cam after the game. Scared? Absolutely not. Thinking, now that's something that I could, you know, probably finger point. Uh, But yet, there's no need to, to feel any type of way besides accepting all challenges and I have to get better, I, I, and, and, and I'm adamant about it. So there, that was Cam saying, I'm overthinking. On November 20th, Cam, well, not November 20th, let's see here. Um, i got to find a good one here from Cam. Uh, hmm, let's see, I'm trying to find a perfect one. I jeopardized the team in a way. Right, and nobody, especially not one of the leaders on the team, wants to have that happen. And I knew, and you're talking to a person who's not oblivious to the way that I played yesterday. It's unacceptable. But at the same time, you know, I'm not about to sit up here and be sorry, sorry, sorry. I apologize, apologize, apologize. I said what I had to say. It's time to move forward. That was December 1st. So Cam last year spoke about over overthinking he spoke about playing poorly he was he owned up to everything but cam also last year was broken at times and he was vulnerable at times being out there in practice matters because it as frank edelman said it gives you confidence it gave julian edelman confidence it gave me confidence i felt better 
going into a start knowing I had thrown well in the bullpen. Okay, the more time you miss, the more doubt creeps in. Okay, we talk all the time in sports about mental toughness. We speak all the time about mental coaching and about imagery. When you think positive things, positive things happen. You also need positive reinforcement. And practice gives you that positive reinforcement. When you think negative things, negative things tend to happen. And Cam Newton, I think, is somebody who thinks a lot. And when he's playing well, the confidence is there. He's great. But when he's playing poorly, the doubt creeps in. And every time I think that Cam Newton is out of a practice scenario, I think that it matters. I think that it matters. And it was that way for me. The more time you miss, the more doubt creeps in. Speaking of Patriots practice at OTAs, I do think it was very, very interesting to hear what uh, Mac Jones said about everything that was going on in his mind at practice. Yeah, there's a lot going on in my brain. Just, you know, you're trying to see everything, and sometimes you see too much or whatever, and then you see nothing. So I have to figure out in this offense how I can do that, how I can break down the plays, what's my job, what's what I have to do on this specific play, and then slot the plays individually. And I did that obviously good in college or whatever, but it's the pros, and I have to figure out how to do it here. So that's what I'm going to do. Mac Jones, by all accounts, yesterday at OTAs on Thursday. It's not that he had a bad day, but they put him as third string on the depth chart. He played behind Stidham and Hoyer. They also said that he took a lot of check downs. Basically, he's not processing things right away, and he's not seeing everything perfectly. He's just kind of getting rid of the ball to the easy check down guy. My goal for Mac Jones is steady improvement and then the confidence that comes with that. Last year, we gave Cam Newton, I think not an excuse, a valid reason for his struggles. He wasn't there. He didn't have OTAs. He didn't have time to get acclimated with things because he signed so late. Mac Jones is in that same boat. Okay, He's just off the bus. He's just getting here. He got here 15 minutes ago. If Cam gets the benefit last year of not having a lot of time in the offense, then Mac Jones gets the benefit of not a lot of time in the offense. So I'm not going to sit here and say on June 11th, well, hey, his June 10th practice wasn't great, and that means he sucks, because that's not the case. But Mac Jones, I just want to see steady improvement. I want him to be better next week at mandatory minicamp than he was this week at OTAs. I want him to be better at training camp than he was in the mandatory minicamp. I want him to take what he's seen in training camp and turn it into a decent preseason. And I'd like him to be better in preseason game three than preseason game one. Steady improvement and steady confidence building, that is what I want from Mac Jones. I'm not going to overreact to numbers on seven-on-seven drills. I'm not going to overreact to numbers and 11 on 11 drills I just want to see Mac Jones improve and I like that he says look I'm out there trying to figure it out I'm out there trying to process things I think that that honesty is important because I think it's truthful young quarterbacks struggle it's hard it's not supposed to be easy I just want to see Mac Jones continue to get better I also liked what Mac Jones said about his relationship with Cam Newton and the other quarterbacks He's done an awesome job being a good mentor, and he brings great energy. And Brian and Jarrett um, have done a good job helping me in the film room, and um, all three of them just watch their reps and learn as much as much as I can. You, know, you don't have to be in the in the, in on that play to learn. So I just have to figure out how to do that, and I've been getting a lot better just watching tape and learn how to do that. And they've helped me in that regard. A couple of things stood out to me there. One. I like that Mac Jones said that he and Cam have a good relationship. Okay, Cam Newton is a bigger is a bigger man than I because I think that's a big deal. 
if I were Cam, I wouldn't be all that helpful or even all that friendly to Mac Jones. I'm not saying that I'd lock the door to the facility on him, but that's my job. And I want it to remain my job. And I don't want you to take my job. I think that that is how I would be. I would be protective of my spot. And evidently, Cam Newton is out there. And he is, you know, not being like that. He is being somebody that Mac Jones feels like he can at least talk to, trust, and lean on. I also, though, did think the thing that was interesting is he says, Brian and Jarrett, meaning Stidham and Hoyer, have helped me in the film room. So... Well, maybe he and Cam have a good relationship and he enjoys watching Cam and Cam brings great energy and he's learning by example. I do think it's definitely possible to sit here and say that, uh, you know, Hoyer and Stidham are the guys taking him by the hand, you know, a little bit more than Cam is. So it's the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I kind of want to end the podcast version of the show here. The reports are out that Kemba Walker wants to be traded. We have heard that the Celtics were going to try to trade Kemba Walker. Age, injury, contract status. It all kind of makes sense. But what we hadn't heard until this week was that Kemba also wants to be traded. This seems kind of odd to me. If Kemba is upset that the team shopped him last year, I get it, right? He had just signed a big deal. He was a good soldier. He was the anti-Kyrie Irving. He was everything you could have wanted outside of just his health. So, if Kemba's mad the team tried to deal him in the offseason, I get it. But Danny Ainge was the guy shopping him around. Danny Ainge is now gone. So, if Ainge is gone, those doubts from Kemba, that anger should dissipate. So, what's really at play here? Does Kemba not like Brad Stevens? And he doesn't want to be under Stevens' thumb. Does Kemba not like the coaching candidates that are being rumored to come to Boston and he wants out? Does Kemba simply think that the team is not good enough to compete with? Because Kemba's in a tough spot. If Kemba gets traded, he's going to a place where he's the alpha on a bad team, like he was in Charlotte, and I don't think he wants that again. Or does he go to a place where he's a beta on a good team? Well, he's already got that. Is it good to just say, hey, let's just go where I'm kind of the B or C option on a good team to being the B or C option on another good team? I don't know. I mean, like, if Kemba Walker got traded to Dallas, the the, the trade I see floated around is Kristaps Porzingis for Kemba. Salaries would offset. Kemba gets a fresh start. Porzingis gets a fresh start. Celtics could use a shooting big man, and Kemba goes on to Dallas and pairs with Luka. Is that much better for Kemba? I, maybe, but, like, is it that much better than Boston? And you'd be going to the Western Conference. Like, I could see Kemba and Luka playing well together, but Luka's the primary ball handler. Kemba's not the primary ball handler, and you're in the Western Conference. So you're going to go and get the, you know, six or seven seed again? I, I don't know. I mean, this whole thing seems weird to me. I get why the Celtics are looking to move Kemba, but Kemba looking to move on from the Celtics, I don't know that there's a guaranteed better option there. Porzingis is interesting in Boston. Porzingis would be interesting. Kemba would be interesting in Dallas. But Eastern Conference, Tatum, and Brown, I think, are better than Western Conference and Luka. And I don't know that this—I think the Celtics would be better than the Mavs. Even as great as Luka is, I think the Celtics would be in a closer championship position 
than the Dallas Mavericks are. So it's the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for hanging out with us again. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swat and Lumber. We're back at it again on Monday with the live version of the show from just 5.30 until 6 because we got Red Sox baseball game four of that series against the Blue Jays. So thanks to intern Colin for hanging out and helping us set up everything on the podcast. And uh, Patriots mandatory minicamp is next week. Can't wait to see what people are saying out at Foxborough. So we'll see you on Monday right here on WDEV.